You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rain Stop Play. After a small hiatus in May, we are back. We're going to be here every Tuesday for the rest of the English summer and beyond. Um, so thank you very much for joining us at the start of what is to be a very exciting few weeks and months. Um, I'm joined by Glenn for part one and we'll have Will for part two and part three a bit later in the podcast. Glenn, how are you? Good to be back. Exciting to talk about some English test cricket yeah um, I'm, I'm buzzing to for us to be chatting as well Dan it's been a while it was quite funny we kind of for listeners we kind of agreed really really sadly on a little hiatus for May we're <laughs> like you know we are oh yeah schedules are packed we've all we've all got different kind of work shifts at the minute but what happened Dan I, I think we barely missed a beat to be honest <laughs> I know <laughs> I think we've accidentally still did a lot of content <laughs> so um, <laughs> so much may, was happening it may not feel like the list has been away but you know it's certainly been a little <laughs> break to refresh our minds they're begging for a break. <laughs> they're, they're, wait, they're waiting for a hiatus. Everyone's like, God, where are these? These guys keep going. Well, in that period, Glenn, we've had our 100th episode. So we're now well in, you know, we're now trying to build and get to a double century. Uh, we'll properly commemorate that when we get all four of us back together. Um, but yeah, as I said at the top there, we'll be here every Tuesday morning uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, so if you don't already, you can follow us on Twitter at RainStopPod, where you can get stuck in, uh, ask us questions, give us your 11s, your predicted results, etc. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Will will be joining us a little bit later on, as I said, and Zach, I think he's currently in Scotland. He did some running uh, on the weekend, so well done to him uh, raising some money for charity. Uh, we'll speak to him in a couple of weeks, hopefully, so that's very exciting. Um, so part one, we're going to take a look and preview the England versus New Zealand test series, which is coming up on Thursday. Uh, in part two, we're going to go around the grounds to the IPL and chat a little bit about the blast. 
And in part three, we have a pitch inspection, which will focus also a little bit on the blast. Uh, so do stay tuned for all of that. Uh, Glenn, let's get going then. We've got a test series to look forward to. Start of a new era, which we have been sort of previewing slightly with the Stokes appointment and then the McCullum appointment. Um, and now we're nearly there. And we've got what looks like an England 11 to chat about. Uh, and an exciting test series. So um, should we get stuck straight into it, I think? Let's do it. <sighs> How's this going to go, man? I don't know. Let, let's start with the sort of let's start with this England eleven, which is starting to look clearer and clearer as the, as the days go on. Uh, we're sat here on Monday night, um, recording this uh, in the UK, and there's a lot of chatter about. So it looks like everyone's pretty much cemented. Glenn, whispers are that the choice is, is left between Broad and Overton for that last spot, meaning we're, we're going to see Potts. Uh, we're not going to see Brook probably. Uh, and we're going to see Ollie Pope at three. So first impressions of all these things coming out and what this 11 is going to look like. I'm looking forward to getting onto some Ollie Pope and lack of Brook chat, but I'd like to hear your opinions first. Yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. We will get there, I think. You know, Harry Brook, 840 runs so far in the county championship. Looks in fine, Nick, across formats. He's, we'll get. We'll talk about the blast a little bit later on this episode as well, but Brook has been <laughs> stupendous in that as well. So... That's a bit frustrating, but pinning that just for a second. I mean, Matthew Potts is interesting because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, Dan, I don't know a huge amount about him. Like, I didn't... Um, no, it kind of uh, came out of the blue for me. I mean, for, you know, some listeners who follow the county game, especially, you know, Durham closer, it would be less of a surprise. Um, he's, you know, he's been doing really solid this season. Three six-wicket hauls and one seven for... Um, and he's been getting a lot of bounce um, from, you know, pitches you know, in April, May that are usually pretty, um, pretty flat. And that is, I imagine, if he can get bounce out of these slightly, uh, you know, more lifeless tracks, they're looking potentially for him to fill the void left by your archers, your woods, that kind of make something happen, quicker bowler, um, or who, who just who just does something slightly different than your Wokes, Broad, Anderson, which is get it moving, you know, under an overcast, uh, in an overcast condition. Yeah, I, I like this potential pick. It's just looking like that from rumour. A lot of journos watching training today suggesting that he's going to play. And you're right, Glenn, in, in a, they're doing this, I think, to avoid the three-man pace attack of Overton, Broad, Anderson, who are all low 80s, pitch it up there, swing it about, nip it about, that they can't have that because England have been blamed time and time again for having a very, very samey attack. Uh, you mentioned there, just right arm overs. We can't have that. So that bit of extra pace. So that gives me a bit of joy that there's some common sense going on there. Um, should we chat about the bowling attack then? Because it looks like that space left is between Overton and between Broad because they're going to want to play Anderson after the debacle of the winter, let's get him playing cricket again. It looks like they're leaning to play a spinner, which is great. We want to see that um, consistently give Leach that leadership role as, as the number one spinner and see how it goes. So we're left with Overton and Broad. And, and the reason Overton seems to be getting the edge at the minute is that he's a, a number eight or, you know, an eight and a half perhaps, whereas Broad is now probably a nine and a half, ten when it comes to that batting lineup. This is where I have a slight issue in that this isn't how we should be picking teams. This smells of the old regime slightly to me um, because I think we'd all pick Broad the bowler over Overton the bowler. Now, Overton's had a great county championship, start to the county championship season. We can't avoid that. And I'm I'm probably guilty for not giving him the credit he deserves. But Glenn, I've not seen him do it in an England shirt yet, which worries me slightly. So what's your thought on this? For sure, it'd be a long tail if we played Broad, Leach, Anderson, Potts. But would you rather Overton there at eight who can bowl well and has a stack of wickets this year? Or would you rather Broad? 
I'd rather broad. Um, uh, you know, Overton, he's picked it up a little bit towards um, uh, into May, but he did start really poorly with the bat. Um, so he was pretty hopeless with the bat in West Indies and didn't yep. pick up a score as far as I can tell there. And then, yeah, he started the or part of the county championship season with, you know, all scores in single digits, right? And he's picked up a few more runs in, in the last few games, hitting, you know, 30s and 40s, which is great to see. But honestly, yeah, Dan, if this was a if this was like a genuine all-rounder who you could rely on for maybe a 20, 25, maybe coming in at seven, sure, then I think batting comes into the equation. As it is, yeah, sure, he's marginally better than broad, quite a bit better than broad with the bat, sure. But I agree with you. I think we should be picking bowlers for bowlers. Um you know, I, I don't think his batting offers enough extra for it to be taken as a serious factor for, for consideration of this team. So, yeah, if that is one of the sticking points for, for getting bored in the team, that is a worry. I mean, at the same time, I have complained at length on the pod before about, you know, the length of our tail and it's it, it's yeah. hopeless and the brittleness of our batting. It it can't make the batters feel much better when they're coming in at five or six and they look down the order and there's no runs there. Right. It only yeah. helps the pressure. But 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 point being, I don't think Overton's the answer to that. So I think they're answering the wrong question there. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, it, it depends what happens to England, you know don't take 20 wickets we blame them not picking broad and getting picking the bowlers you can get bowled out quickly we're saying we've got too long a tail it's it kind of lose lose isn't it? it it's it is really finding that balance and the lack of fitness of of wokes and, and curran who are proper number eights at least and are very good bowlers in their own right kind of leaves us in this sort of murky situation and you know, I'd love to see Overton take a game by the scruff of the neck with the ball for the first time and prove that he can do it because he'd be a great number eight for England for a long time if he can do it. And it segues me nicely into Ollie Pope because Overton gets stacks of wickets in the championship and hasn't quite done it for England yet. Ollie Pope gets stacks and stacks of runs for Surrey. Uh, he's averaging 72 at the minute for his county, which is outrageous. He's the generational talent. We keep hearing it and we've seen him do it for England away in South Africa. But we've not seen him do it really anywhere else at any other time. And now all of a sudden, Glenn, he's batting at number three. And you know, you know, I've enjoyed the start of the Rob Key era and the McCullum era, and I'm a bit of a mouthpiece for them. This is their first weird moment for me when when this was announced probably a couple of weeks ago now, maybe ten days ago. I don't get it. I don't get why this is happening. This just feels so weird. I, I want it to work. We all want it to work. But Pope has never batted at three uh, for his county ever in Red Bull cricket. Yes, it's one ball difference from four, where he has batted before. But I just don't quite, I just don't quite get it. We had some safer hands knocking around in, in Dawid Milan, potentially, um, or dropping Crawley down and bringing a different opener in. This just doesn't feel like the common sense decision. And maybe this is what we're going to see from the McCullum-Stokes era, is these less common sense decisions. But as we mentioned, I think they've done it with the bowling, picking a spinner and picking pots, probably. But this doesn't feel right to me. I'd love to know how you feel about Pope probably batting at number three. Well, no, sorry, definitely batting at number three. It's, it's been confirmed. Yeah, it, it was a it was a puzzling decision, and you can almost see them right in in some boardroom at Lords or ever with all these pieces on the table, and they're just trying to find a way to, to make it work. Yes. Right, do something that hasn't been done before in, in recent months and years and be like, ah, this is our aha moment. It's Ollie Pope at three. You know, he's been compared to uh, Bell for, for years and years. Mm. Um, and this is his moment to stake that position and claim it. I mean, yeah, it, it is a bit puzzling. I mean, if you, you're going to have to take risks 
in this new era, right, Dan? And you're going to have to do some stuff, as I just touched on, that maybe wasn't seen as, you know, maybe common sense or even feasible in, in, in pre under the previous kind of regime. So I was thinking about this last night. Like, it's a strange one. I, I don't mind seeing how it works. I just don't have a huge amount of hope for it. Maybe I'm like pessimistically That's a fair intrigued. Point. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I think we all want to see Oli Pope do well, and we know he's good, I right? Do. So we want this to happen. It just doesn't feel like it's going to. Again, it just always keeps happening with him. And just and again, you know, a lot, quite a few of these, nowhere near all of them are at the Oval. But just looking at um, Pope's recent scores in the County Championship, going from most recent to to backwards, 96, 84, 47, 5, 127, 58. I mean, that is stupendous form. There's no there's no two ways about that. And I mean, I, I would apply the same thing to, to Brooke and say he should be in the team for the very same reason. And maybe this is the right time to kind of bring that up and see down where we would piece all these players together. Because I assume for you, Pope would probably be booted out of the team to accommodate Brooke. Well, or maybe even not, maybe even not. Because no, I, Brooke, I, I think, I, I think I'd, we can come on to Bairstow now if you want. So I'd boot Bairstow out of the team, not for his lack of runs. And, and he, he got some runs in whites again at the, at the start of this year, back in the last year. But you know he's just come off the he's just come off the back of the IPL, and you've got Brooke who's seeing it like a football at the minute, who can bat at five. Um, well, that doesn't actually solve the number three position. Either way, I'd probably boot Bearstow out to bring Brooke in. Total sidetrack. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pope doesn't feel right for me. I, I don't know what I'd have done to be fair because I want it to work. I'd maybe drop Crawley down to three, and we can give. Or, or you could have brought Josh Bohannon in, who's, who's getting lots of runs for Lancashire at the minute. There, there were other options, but I think you're right, Glenn. They want Pope to work, and this is another way of trying to make it work. Because if he does get at this position, great. Because that, that, that five and six position with Lawrence waiting and, and Brooke waiting is, is quite congested anyway. So, yeah, I think that's very sensible. This is, this is them trying to get Pope in. Uh, but let's chat, John Chatbairstow uh, and, and the Brooke decision. It looks like Bairstow's going to nod at number five. Um, but you got a man in Harry Brook who, as you said a little earlier, is in is in the nick of his life in all formats. Um, and we could bring him in to go and do a job against New Zealand. I, I don't quite understand it. Uh, Bairstow coming off the back of an IPL season. Uh, I can't imagine he's been back in the country for more than a week, 10 days. I don't quite get it. I don't quite get it, Glenn. It is a tough one. And then again, you're, you're rightly factoring in IPL travel, different format, completely different mindset. There's, there's a lot lot going on there but this is the thing right if if they've said to McCollum that we're going to try our best to make you know the best test players that you want available and he's obviously rightly demanding that then shouldn't you know for his first game I mean this is the way I'm seeing this is hopefully take into take into factor take into consideration the fact that some players are not in the squad due to injury and other reasons but you do see this right as McCollum stamping his kind of authority mm. on the team and saying hey this is the 11 that I back and that I want to back me in the, at least this series and beyond so I like the Johnny Bairstow as part of his plans I've talked many many times about how I feel Johnny Bairstow um, gets a you know terrible terrible kind of rep that he isn't appreciated you know he got a monster hundred um, in Sydney he got another extraordinary uh, extraordinarily good hundred in the West Indies as well um, I, I think he's done enough on merit to be there I mean that you can have another question right um, Dan if Bairstow's taking the gloves yeah. does that not does that not open it's, the door for it, for Brooke to come in for folks there's you there's a potential solution Glenn yeah absolutely is it, give Bairstow the gloves at seven where we'd probably have in the chat that's probably a bit low but it gets him in the team still um, I suspect he's a fairly important character in that dressing room he's been around for a while and then you bring Brooke in at five and you probably get the best of both worlds. 
But I also thought we decided that folks was our guy now. Uh, if folks hasn't had a full home summer, and if I, I on, on your point of this is McCullum going, this is my team. I suspect if he does take the gloves on Thursday, that's him for the summer. We've got our wicket keeper, at least that McCullum wants to see. And as the great Test wicket keeper that McCullum was uh, for a, bit, a part of his career, it looks like folks going to get it, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's a great point. I think we're it's a pretty uh, productive chat. I feel like, but we're kind of it, it's difficult, right? I think. A, it's nice that we're actually. I mean, it's it's a home test. We're in the we're just in the kind of in the swing of domestic cricket, so we should right have a load of great options. And I do want to talk about the openers before we move on because I, I do have a bit a bit of an issue there. But um, uh, it is nice to have options, right? And I mean, yeah, sure, we may be frustrated that Pope's at three. He's in good nick. You know, you could you're saying quite with with good reason that maybe Bearstow's place is in a bit of jeopardy. And I'm like, well, looking at folks, it's good to be having conversations where we're trying to squeeze players in as opposed to, you know, how on earth do we get 11 test kind of quality players? I think I do have a bit of optimism based on some really good championship form of some of some batters. But at the same time, you know, like, are we just kind of needling around the edges here? Yes. We, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it is a tough one. We, if we're kind of debating arguing over who's batting seven <laughs> I mean, you know a maybe that's good because people are locked in but b maybe we've made a few assumptions across other places in the order i.e the openers dan that aren't nearly as secure as they may seem nice well let's move on to those openers it looks highly likely it'll be it'll be lees and crawley crawley was off the back of two sort of 70 odds in his last game but prior to that was having a really shaky start to the season lees who's got 200s under his belt this year already for durham um Averaging 21, I think, after that series in the West Indies. Looked like they'll be our opening pair. The Lees thing is a definite, you know, they've got to look at him again um, because he's not been able to play in England yet. Um, and he looked okay in the West Indies despite going at a snail's pace for all of his innings. Crawley is a problem, though, isn't it, Glenn? Because if he, you know, nicks off wafting at a few uh, Lords this week, that's where all the chat will be. Um, and that's something they'll have to look at. Would you not then go Crawley and Lees for this first game? Is that what you're getting at? Or, or are you just saying this is perhaps the shakiest part and the fact we've started with number eight and number six isn't actually the problem right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of getting at that. I mean, I'm torn here as well. I really just do not envy people who have to make these decisions because yeah. it's easy to get them wrong, right? Well, there's no one um, to do it yet. There's no selector yet. So I don't quite know no, who's making so these decisions. <laughs> they might as well listen to this. Um. Yeah, I mean, Alex Lees has been doing fine. 535 uh, runs in the county championship um, so far. Look very solid. You know, I'm not hugely excited about him. I don't think people really are. But then he's just an opener that hopefully we'll see off the see off the shiny ball. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I'd take an, an unexciting opener who, you know, isn't quite Sibley levels of dull, but he's slightly above that, you know, maybe this summer. But I agree it's not the sort of generational talent of Ollie Pope, is it, when, when you start chatting about Lees? Um, no, and then just looking at going over to Crawley, or I do think he's going to be found out, and I think mm. this this may well be his last series of a test for a while. Um, but then, I mean, this is this is silly, right? Because we're saying he got a couple of nice runs. I think he had a was it one nice innings, maybe in the Ashes. He had he looked all right. Uh, he got that daddy hundred in the West Indies. 
he, yeah. he lives off that hundreds, basically, doesn't he? Yeah, it's your annual good innings. But yeah. you know, he, he, if he were to come off, he would be. He's elegant. He's a great batsman, and this is mm. by no means an attack on Zach Crawley as a player because I really admire him. I think he's a real talent. But you're looking at some of his first class scores, and I mean, you know, the last two tests in the West Indies, top score of forty was was not great across those four. You know, he started the season with a fifty, which was great, and then we see scores of five, seven, twenty nine, four, five, seventeen. 35 nothing to write home about there mm-hmm. then as you pointed out the last game he played in the, in the in the county champ against northampton he did get two he did get 250s got a 62 and an 84 so what's good there is that he seemed to be picking up the runs at the right time i did see a few of his innings in the in the blast so far and they've he's got four 40 and two I mean, I don't know, it gives you maybe an average of 30, 14 or something. Yeah. So there's, there's so he didn't, he didn't, he, um, didn't look particularly in Nick. I didn't see the Essex game where fair play to him. He did pick up quite a few runs, but in the other two, I did, he did, he didn't look in Nick at all. And I just think it's frustrating because in Ben Compton, you have got mm. a player that is just in unbelievable form. And, you know, you're looking at his, his runs, smashes 100 first game. His second game, he fancies himself again, gets 200s against Lancashire. Then the runs keep coming. 27, 89, 3, 93, 47, 63. And the last first-class game um, he played against Northamptonshire, he got 140 and 68. And the one thing I want to add on, we might get there in just a second when we're kind of previewing New Zealand. He's already got 100 against New Zealand this summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what He's got one in the... Do? Well, that's it. And you had Jamie Porter taking a five for in that, in that select game who, who um, and they had New Zealand nine for five. So it does feel like they're looking at potential rather than who are making the actual runs at the minute. They've gone down the pots line for the bowlers who is taking wickets but yeah they seem less keen with that with the runs Crawley's going to be first on the chopping block isn't he at the end of the day this is all going to go horribly wrong I, I think I think Crawley will struggle to be honest to be honest now I do not have a real issue here with with um with Key and the England setup showing faith in mm. these and Crawley I, I'm not calling for the heads already <laughs> Not saying that, and again, I, I, I do like both, um, obviously, with a preference of Crawley's technique, which is a bit more aesthetic. But let's be honest. I mean, Ben Compton, if you, if you want to if you want to shake things up in this England setup, um, you know, play the play the batter who's been doing it week in, week out for three months straight. You know, he's 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 he's, he's um, crushed by the hundreds he's scoring. He just he can't, no, I know, he can't do crazy. anything else. He, and he looks excellent and he's a really good hundreds like then you know i've seen a few of the highlights you know he's not a scratchy player he he is he is a he is the real deal this season he's the real deal so if Potts is coming in on the back of that why not do the same for compton absolutely absolutely a fair point glenn and i think you know our worries about crawley and or lees could mean we see him in england whites at some point this summer um interesting chat about the sort of places that are up for grabs otherwise though it's actually quite a familiar team these are familiar names we're talking about uh bar pots basically uh, and the potential of brook coming in um so a little bit of sort of continuity coming over from the west indies um a new coach who only arrived in the uk last thursday so he's had very little time to sort of uh meet with the players and implement his his style so that's that's going to be interesting the first game of the key era and the first game of the Stokes era as captaincy. We've seen him as captain before uh, in that one day series and whenever Root was off the field. And I think he did one test match in the bubble series a couple of years ago. But that's going to be interesting as well. So just generally, Glenn, three test matches. What are your feelings about how this England team are going to get on? Can we win a test match um, against this New Zealand side? 
Yes, we can, because the New Zealand side uh, lost a warm up uh, by seven mm. wickets to a county 11 just a couple yes. of days ago. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think we should we will give New Zealand their dues in just a moment. But just just sticking with England just before then. Yeah, I think I think I think we can win this series. I think we should win this series. Um, I think we're going to win it 2-1. Um, my question to you, Dan, I think, is um, what do you think? OK, we've talked, we've talked it. We've almost talked ourselves into this team just to leave our listeners with this, you know, with this with this full 11 that we think what, running down the list that we've got. Who do you think will be in their whites, or, you know, on, on the grass on Thursday morning? Who, who's this? Who do, I, who do I think? Or who do I want? Think. Who, think. Who's this 11? Think. Yeah, this is what I'm going to go with, I think, from what I've been reading today and, and general vibes is, is Lee's Crawley, Pope, Root, Bearstow. Stokes at six, folks to the gloves at seven, Overton at eight because he can bat a bit and he has got the wickets this year, uh, Leach at nine because they want to go with the spinner um, and then Potts Anderson or Anderson Potts. I don't know which one's the bigger bunny of the two. Um, I think that would be a fairly competitive 11. Uh, like I said, good to have the spinner, good to have the someone who isn't just right arm over 80 mile an hour in Potts. I like sticking with folks for the summer. I like Stokes at six as well. I like that, how that's been done. I like Root back at four as well. So, yeah, um, I'd personally rather see Brooke in, as I said, just for that first test, let Besto get acclimatised again, play, you know, net with the red ball for a while. And you know what? Let's give Overton a go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's fine. I'm going to say that's fine. So the one change I'd make in, in, so, you know, England's probable 11 versus Dan's 11 is, is to put Brooke in. Otherwise, you know, excited to see how this goes. Um, agree or disagree on some of them? Would you go over to different? I would play broad, but I mean, with the caveat we've just kind of talked this through just a few minutes ago. I mean, that reading it aloud, that is a dangerously long tail. That is for if, if you do long. play, if you do play broad, you can see why it's a small factor. And I mean, we I didn't quite, I it just didn't quite click in my head until you hear read it. it in succession because it would that, probably that, be broad at eight. And he's not batted there, you know, since he could actually bat. So that is a point, but, and that's why I'd go with, that's why why I'd go with Overton. You get that, just a little bit of security before Leach, Anderson, Potts. So it's, you can see why they're doing it. Absolutely. What, what, if if it does happen, what, why they would do that. Um, And again, we've got to hope the likes of Wokes and Curran get fit again, because they're perfect for that little slot. Because they really, I mean, Curran, Sam Curran's been getting so many runs for Surrey. He's he's had he's not quite got a ton yet, but I think he's had four scores of fifty or more already this year, batting at seven. So, you know, getting him back and fit again would be huge for the England side. But for now, I think Overton fills that role, fills that role fine. So it's going to be exciting though, isn't it, to see how this lot get on? Um, but like I said, it's fairly familiar. It's Lords. Apparently, the pitch is quite green. The weather's been a bit iffy for the past week. I, I'd back us, and I did read a piece saying this is probably one of the best times to play New Zealand. Um, and we can come on to them now, Glenn. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Williamson only got into the country a few days ago. Um, is off the back of uh, the IPL and some injury, I think. Trent Bolt, I don't think, will be available because he's just come back from the IPL as well, playing for Gujarat or Rajasthan. One of the two teams have gone into the final. Um, they're down a spinner. They've not had a half-decent spinner for a while. I know Ajaz Patel got that 10 for in India over the winter, but I'm not sure he's part of that setup anymore. Uh, and as we saw against the county eleven, they were nine for five and lost by seven wickets. So, as good as this team has been, this is a good time to play New Zealand, right? So, that's all part of of the positivity I think we're both giving out from an England perspective. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And just just to give a quick look, there's only so much you can read into these games. So this is not like a, a cutting yeah. edge deep analysis, but just <laughs> looking at the tour games, um, you know, it was all right against Sussex for New Zealand. Um, they got Sussex all out for 247. Then they were really good with the bat, 342 for three declared and they were 40 for none. And, you know, they had a load of, um, they had a, 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 an alarmingly funny amount of players retiring, not out, which is the mm. whole point of these games. Don't get me wrong, but Latham, Young, Bracewell and Blundell all got their 50s and retired out so that looked good but the problem was there Glenn there was a lot of rain down in Hove so they didn't quite get as much time out there as they would have liked to get themselves match fit another reason why this New Zealand team I don't think will be at their their sharpest on Thursday morning um, I agree, and I think your your point is 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 made even more valid by the fact that they lost um, heavily to, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, to the first class county eleven um, just just towards the end of May, just a couple of days ago. Um, they would, you know, they got the first class county eleven, two hundred forty seven all out. Um, then New Zealand was solid with the bat, three hundred sixty two for nine declared. Then they struggled to get wickets. You know, the county team got to 264 for only three. And then the wheels came off with New Zealand crumbling to um, 148 all out. Lost a load of wickets um, right at the start. Uh, right at the start of their innings, we got at the top of the list, we got four zero zero five. Uh, no one could pick up a score till Southie, who got, you know, the, the their tail end all chipped in with 30. But the top of the order was completely blown away by the uh, pace. Porter, as you rightly mentioned earlier, Dan, got a fifer. And this is if I was a New Zealand fan or you know, coaching staff, I did, maybe I didn't obviously if I knew all the intricacies of their team, this would alarm me a little bit. I mean, that's a proper collapse. Yeah. It should, it should do for sure, but I, I do think this bowling attack will come through, you know, Southey, Wagner, Carl Jameson, who is a, a, a very talented player. I, I still think we'll put up a really good fight. Oh, it's just interesting to see. It, it, should, it can't be good for the team vibe when you're getting done by a county select 11. And, and these were players in Nick, that's why they picked them um, from the England perspective. But it was very interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of team they come out with this. Obviously, no Ross Taylor now, he's retired. I'm presuming Bolt can't play because, like I said, the final IPL final finished yesterday. So I don't think they'll have him over. We'll have him in the series, hopefully, because he's good fun to watch. But yeah, still a good team, but they're not going to be at their most potent for sure. I agree. Uh, yeah, I think two one England. I think I think New Zealand will get a win. I like it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one New Zealand. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. Or maybe like right. a one, maybe a one one. We'll have a draw or something. But I, I don't foresee an England series win. I foresee England picking up a test match somewhere. Uh, New Zealand definitely winning one of these test matches. And then who knows what will happen in that third game. I'll go... I'll go 1-1. There's not many draws knocking around nowadays. Though, are there? So maybe I'm going to... Oh, sorry, I'm going to stick 2-1 New Zealand. So, <laughs> so <laughs> just thinking out loud there. Glenn's going 2-1 uh, England. I'm going 2-1 New Zealand. Let us know how you think that series is going to go. Tweet us at rainstoppod. Um, and if you get in touch with us before Thursday, let us know what you think this England 11 should be. Uh, what you would like it to look like with, with all the options uh, in that squad. Um, but that will about do for part one. Uh, in part two, we'll be joined by Will to go around the grounds uh, to look at the IPL final and the T20 Blast. Hello, welcome back to part two of this week's episode of Rain Stop Play. And a wild Will Singh has appeared. Hello, Will. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Hello, very good. It's been ages, I think, since we've done an actual podcast with three of us, but here we are. 
we said that at the top actually we said it's been a while we take a little hiatus in may but we actually we, we accidentally still released i think four episodes in may as normal so it's been a mental hiatus for us but listeners are, are pleading with us to to shut up for a few weeks <laughs> but they're not going to get it uh glenn is still here as well and we're going to go around the grounds uh, in part two uh let's start with the ipl final uh will sorry pal rajasthan lost but they but but they got there right you know that was the good thing uh for those who don't know gujarat titans that one of the new franchises won by seven wickets in a fairly low scoring uh tense affair uh full house though great atmosphere you know a decent final in the end you have one unheard message hi i was calling current the influencer marketing platform but i think i just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Uh, but Will, reflect on Rajasthan for us. You know, that was must have been a bit gutting. But I do get this sense that you were happy they were there. Oh, yeah. Thrilled to be there. I mean, we, we've, we said many times on the podcast before, are Rajasthan actually good? And I'm, I still don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't think the answer is a definitive yes. No. Um, what, what they they managed to cobble that together an actual bowling attack this season, and then just had Joss Butler doing some batting, and, and it turns out that that works quite well. Um, which was always going to be a bridge too far, probably to even get to the final. Is I think the achievement. It was more gutting because there were m- moments of hope. I think after the Rajasthan batting innings. I thought they were just going to knock it off in like 12 overs and we can all go home. Yeah. Uh, and we did briefly make a fight of it. There, I have to say there was a drop catch by Jahel. It was absolute sitter early on. I think it was in the second over. And if he takes that, we would have got them down to, they could have been three wickets down within six, seven overs, which would have been game on. Um, but nonetheless, I think it was a pretty good performance all round. I think we're set up well for next season. Um, so yeah, a lot of positives. But pretty guy. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though, about how well set up you are now. And, and, you know, maybe we can finally next year answer that question of our Rajasthan good. I'd love to get to the bottom of that someday. You know, how long in this podcast? We're still not there yet. But that double spin pivot, if you can hold on to that for a while, that, that felt, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a heck of a lot of the tournament. And we'll come on to perhaps why in a minute. But was that spin partnership the key? Obviously, 
Butler being Butler was helpful, but you know, from a bowling perspective, two world class Indian spinners doing applying their trade was helpful. Yeah, and it was such a change from the previous couple of seasons where we've not really had a frontline spinner. It's been Rian Parag twirling his arm, and that's the first change spin option for the last two seasons prior to this. Um, but also, I, kind of unexpectedly, the pace bowling stepped up as well. It was There wasn't a gaping Jofra Archer hole in the team, which I was expecting there to be. Um, they all kind of, you know, chipped in. Um, Prasad Krishna, in particular, bowled really, really well in the final. As did Oban, who was, I was expecting to be pretty dross, if I'm honest with myself. Uh, he really stepped up. If we're looking at improvements for next season, I have to say... I was very excited when Padakal came because I thought he was brilliant RCB, a young Indian batter. That's exactly the kind of thing you need to build your team around. When you look back on it in the final, he scored two runs off 10 balls in a really crucial spell. And at the time, it was already going pretty badly, so I didn't just blame him. And then when you look back at it with the, with the score that Gujarat ended up making a difficult, you know, they, they, they took, a, took the time chasing it. If he'd gone 10 for 10 instead of two from 10, could have been a different story. So that was a pretty horrifying inning. So hopefully he can improve next season. Um, other than that, I think we're pretty happy. I think everybody did better this season than they were expecting to. Absolutely. And, you know, he can go on again next year if Butler keeps doing Butler. Um, speaking of whom, he won player of the tournament. Un- unsurprising, I think one could suggest, with yeah. five, was it five hundreds in the end? I think he finished on 400. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry but it's the highest score ever in an IPL season other than Virat Kohli in 2016, which wow. is a pretty amazing achievement. That is fairly impressive and doing it from the top as well. I remember when we thought maybe he should bat six anyway. Um, oh, it's a giant turnaround from the era where it was, it was, it was two years ago. It was, it was Butler Stokes and, and Steve Smith. Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, oh, should, should we, we'll have, we'll have Steve Smith soaking up. 50 balls and then have just come in at, at six and that that's the sensible way to do this isn't it so that at least we've figured that out we just said every yeah. get out of the way and let joss bat that seems to be the way forward feels like that smith williamson era is kind of over as well williamson was terrible all year following ben jones on twitter who uses sort of um oh i can't remember the metric but it's batting like, impact thank you very much yeah. will batting impact it, it was like minus 80 it, it, it was it was painful i know sunrise had a really bad tournament but yeah and Smith obviously didn't even get picked up at the auction, so it kind of feels like the end of that era entirely, doesn't it? In T20 cricket, generally. Yeah, absolutely. For for very well documented reasons, you can't just plod along. Again, I mean, hopefully this is a lesson the India team will learn at some point. You can't just plod along with anchors going at 50 or 35 forever. Um, yeah, batting impact, I don't quite understand how the maths works. If Zach were here, he'd be able to tell you, but <laughs> sort of a judge of kind of the importance of strike rate in a given game situation kind of thing. And yeah, the plodders... Uh, Kane Williamson, I think I'm right in saying he certainly did at one point have the worst recorded batting impact ever in the IPL. Mm. Um, The amazing thing with him is I hadn't even realised this until they kept flashing up the stats during the final that I think it was 2018. He was the top scorer. Yeah, but he could because every now and again he could go at 200 still. He just he didn't do that this year at all. And it it looked when he doesn't do it, when he goes along at 100 or less, it looks silly. Because it's like, what are you doing, mate? But he can he can pop off as he did in 2018. But yeah, um, the anchor is dead, unfortunately. And we've, we've learned that this year a little bit. Uh, well done to Gujarat Titans, if you're a Gujarat fan. Uh, one of the new franchises, um, you know, good for them. They, they sort of, it feels like, well, they picked, you know, they, they sort of had free reign of three players, didn't they, at the start of the season. Uh, they picked well there. Um, Hardik Pandey was one of those, correct? And correct. 
uh, player of the match in the Gale. final. Picked really well. Well, yeah, there you go. Hardik Pandey, 3 for 17 and 34. Shubman Gill, their other choice, uh, took them home. 45 or 43, but a very important knock. Uh, Pandey's bowling again, though, which is... Yeah, he's and good bowling it, well. Isn't he? he, yeah, he's good when he bowls. Do you know what? Do he do is. We... He's had one of... If there was a most improved award in the IPL, somehow, from a very high base, he would still get it because he's, yeah. he's added dimensions to his game that I don't think anybody else thought he had prior mm-hmm. to the season. He's gone from... Prior to this year, Hardik Pandya was in the Jesse Lingard category for me of someone who like he feels like a young player. He, yeah. he was like he was like twenty seven, but because he comes in late, and slaps it around a bit, and has a neck tattoo, you're like, okay, you're pretty immature, <laughs> anyway, but you did a nice job. Now he's an actual captain, serious captain. His strike rates went down from about one eighty to one forty, but put the average up. He times his innings really nicely. He comes in at four, injects them with a bit more pace if he needs. Still able to manage the innings really nicely, and he comes in and bowls and bowls really really well at key times which really adds to this suffocating sense with Gujarat. It's really horrible to watch as, as a fan of the opposition team. That you get through Rashid Khan or you get through Lockie Ferguson and you think, okay, breathe a sigh of relief, we're clear. And then Hardik comes on and bowls even better. And it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we've been saying the whole time they have the best bowling attack in the league, which they do. And most people, I think, through most of the season thought that's not enough to get you to a win. You have to have some actual batting. Uh, it turns out, no, you don't. Not at all. Uh, just, well, having just David saying. Miller was very helpful. Um, obviously, he three sixes in a row to take them through to the final and then 32 off 19 uh, yesterday in the final. So they had that sort of finisher role absolutely tied up. But yeah, really interesting Hardik to do that again. Love the Jesse Lingard comparison. Two final things on that. Number one, how bad do picking Kale Rahul and Marcus Stoinis look now as two of your th- three freebies from Lucknow at the top? I think, I think we bigged up the Rahul one. I think we and Zach and, and Ben Jones when we did the preview looked a little bit suspiciously at the Stoinis one. When it when as you said it was a free pick. Uh but yeah, it now looks ridiculous, isn't it? It does look pretty ridiculous. Although they did still make it to the top four, so fair enough to them. Yeah, give it um last two things on IPL. I thought Virat Kohli looked a bit sad and dead inside. It was really strange watching RCB go out in the final eliminator and he was just kind of like he wasn't even doing very He wasn't shouting at anyone, which is no, weird. I don't. What's going on with him? Just generally in cricket, Will, what's going on? Are we going to see the back know. of him soon than we, than we might think? Well, it's just as well you and I have got tickets for India at Edgebaston <laughs> later this month. Because what? Next His month. retirement game. <laughs> well, I think it might be the last time we see him in England. Yeah, a lot of people sure. Yeah, there will be tour in England again after that for another three years, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's very, very, very sad. I want to see a bit more anger from him. Hopefully we get that back. Hopefully over, you see but... Edgebaston. Um, You're right, though. It was strange. The other thing I want to finish on, because some, one of the commentators, I think Ian Bishop said it, and I thought, you know what, I've never thought this before in my life, but that's a shout. Hardik Pandya, captaining an IPL winning team, he's got to be in the frame for next India captain now. Well, they were saying how well he was doing as well, and like I said, I've not, I've not watched a heck of a lot of it, but you know, listening to those commentators really you know, rave about his captaincy and how alive he looked and the decisions he made and, and the stuff he was saying to his bowlers, absolutely. Do you think that's a realistic thing? 100% because at some point the, the, the depth of talent that exists in India in T20 batting and bowling at some point somebody has to look at the situation and be like okay we can't just keep picking a load of anchors we can't just keep playing Rohit Sharma and Kale Rahul in every format endlessly we can actually like give give Zach a ring give someone a ring who knows about stats plan a T20 team you know with respect to like, what what gives you a good batting impact what matchups yeah. do we need what do you actually need to go and win a tournament in the year 2022 and just go and do that. And I think Hardik would be an ideal candidate for that role. Yeah, he'd be a great captain for the India Moneyball eleven. If they need to just moneyball that that T20 team, well, it would be a crazy 100%. eleven. It would be a proper eleven then, wouldn't it? 
not this sort of half and half. It's a bit of a halfway house, this team at the minute, isn't it? With those anchors and those young kids desperately trying to sort of fuse together, but it's not working. Well, they still won't put Sanju Sampson in the team, which a year ago I would have been totally on their side. And now he's coming off a season where he has, I think, the best strike rate in the league against spin. Uh, that's not good enough to get you in the squad, apparently. So some things need to change in that process, for sure. Well, we'll see. You've got that World Cup coming up, and uh, that was a big advert for Indian cricket. And really briefly, before we move on to the blast, can we do big discourse chat? Um, Glenn, I'll bring you in on this after we, we hear from Will, but two new franchises, Will, a sort of weird league system that you don't actually have to be aware of, but is sort of helping the teams play each other at certain, you know, working out who plays who and how often. Um a eight-week tournament was that six, eight, whatever it was. How do you think it went? It went generally with these two new teams. Is it? Do you get a sense of what the reception is for it? Like in India, I know from my perspective, as good a it's not a great time in the UK, you know, to watch while you're working. Um, but it's kind of hard to follow, and it's very long and quite like when it was done, you were like, wow, that was that was a long tournament. So, what what's your sense of that? added length what's the sense in india obviously it's huge out there and what's you know compare that with perhaps some some sentiments over here yeah it's a really good question i mean i know from a lot of the reporting around it that supposedly the tv audience did fall this year it was lower than they were expecting um i don't know how much that's a function of just other stuff going on or cricket saturation or league decisions in themselves my instinct on it, although there's absolutely zero evidence for this, but I'm going to claim it anyway because that's what we do here. Um, I think you're getting into a very, very long period of time now of COVID impacting the league. Um, I put a tweet up on our feed that I, I I was in Jaipur at the ground in 2019 watching a game, and that was the last time there's been IPL played outside of bubbles. Crazy. Which is not a healthy situation for a league, which is already kind of got an uphill battle in any franchise cricket you've got an uphill battle to prove to fans and audiences that your teams are real and not just 100 style advertising confections uh the ipl had that it was probably the 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 best in the world in terms of having that genuine connection with fans and i and i do wonder if that's kind of disappeared a little bit because it's just been so long since it's been at the ground other than about four venues with respect to the new teams and the lengthening of schedule i haven't found that massively important i think that both of the new teams have been fun to watch their role in the auction process although I, I kind of hate auctions generally but i think they made a bit of fun to it by getting those free picks at the start i do think having the mega auction took a lot of people's enthusiasm out of the start of the league because you kind of ended up watching games if they were on and you were looking at the tv and you suddenly realized that none of the people playing were the people you remember being on these teams and you don't really understand what's going on that i think didn't help but that's something that you would expect to get better over the next few years because we're now in an auction cycle. These players are basically set. So hopefully we'll get used to those. I think there's a bigger macro point and I don't think it's an IPL problem and I don't know how you solve it. But it's the same reaction that I have to basically all franchise tournaments this year, which is I'm quite excited for them to start. This includes the 100, by the way, last summer and the blast. I'm excited for them to start. It's fun, the lot, the first few games, and I watch the first few, and I'm following quite closely. And then there's a dip, there's a sort of middle overs dip for a long time, where like you watch it if it's on, because yeah, it's like three o'clock UK time, it's on when we're at work. If you're working from home, you might stick the TV on. But I'm not actively paying attention, and I do find it really hard to follow, and the games do blur together because they're every single day. And then it picks up again towards the end, and you're like, oh, who's going to be in the playoffs? Pay attention for the final couple of weeks, pay attention to the final. And then I'll probably, sort of, if Rajasthan had not been in the final, I would probably then forget about it after two weeks and move on to whatever the next thing is. 
And I don't know if this is a healthy long-term recipe for franchise cricket. <laughs> yeah, but and I think you're right in saying that 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 is the, that is the case with every franchise league. That that's that's people's interests, you know, peaks and troughs throughout the the cycle of it. I just feel like, however long was that eight? That was eight weeks, right? That was a, that was a long time. Uh, can't be sustainable as as you've just said. Um, you know, Glenn, I know it's harder for you to watch the IPL with, with your time zone, but I know you're a big fan of the PSL, which is sort of you know, wrapped up in a nice bow, six teams, four weeks maybe, uh, gets its job done, gets out of there, we have fun, let's move on to the next thing. Obviously, that's not somewhere the IPL can go uh, commercially with this current setup, but, you know, what, what are your general thoughts on the length of these tournaments? And, and let's let's bring the blast into that, which is kind of even worse. It's, it's fragmented with tournaments in the middle of it, um, which isn't great. So your general opinion on that while we're on these uh, discoursey points? Yeah, it's a really good question. I agree with with pretty much everything Will said, to be honest. Um, yeah, for me again, I didn't watch much of it. As as you rightly pointed out, with in America, the time difference is pretty poor. It's like early morning, which just isn't when I really want to watch much sport. Uh, let alone, you know, a tournament I'm kind of indifferent about anyway. It's not going to make me kind of turn on at that point. Um, obviously not the fault of the tournament. Um, yeah, I, you know, the new teams. It was. I think it was. They ended up probably, um, you know, enriching the experience of this season. It was fun to see, you know, these old. Uh, you know these old giants of the game Chennai and Mumbai really struggle I think that added some more layers to the narrative I think the way that they designed the franchises with some of the extra picks etc actually worked quite well so I think the two new franchises um, were really well integrated and it didn't feel like this kind of big uncomfortable push obviously it helped that one they both did well and one did so well they won the whole thing and that was really good so on that point I was you know happy with it and again you know quality of the cricket we all talked about Butler's quality and there was quality across the league. The standard is exceptionally high. You know, Chahal just just bowling so beautifully. Um, but yeah, in terms of length, you know, I don't know if it's quite reached the stage of the big bash where we, Dan and I were talking just before we started recording, where it went on for so long that some of the actual players were just saying in the press, this is this is going on too long. We need to we need to fin- we need to wrap this up sooner. Um, but again, I agree, you know, with Will that you just can't you just can't ignore COVID as a factor in, I guess, almost like the attrition of some of these tournaments, how it feels like it's just slow and long because they have been played in different places it has either been bubbles either a completely neutral place which isn't going to give you good cricket with a big atmosphere or in a select uh, amount of venues i think will made a really interesting point is it had been years since cricket's been seen in some of these home stadiums so i think we're probably seeing a covid hangover and obviously it is still the pandemic so we're still in the midst of it as much as it's easy to forget that so yeah i think it's tough for me. The IPL did seem to go on a little bit longer, but again, you know, if the fans are loving it in India, why wouldn't you want it to go on longer for those fans? You know, if you're making a very crude kind of Premier League, English Premier League soccer football comparison, then sure, we would want it to go on longer because it's a main source of entertainment in the UK. So, yeah, it, I don't really have a strong definitive opinion on it, but I think we'll, we'll spoke of a lot of sense there. Yeah, it was interesting to hear, like, obviously, you know, for fans in India, this is, you know, the biggest tournament of the year. So why wouldn't they want it to be eight weeks long? You know, that's that's my opinion coming from England is, is pretty irrelevant anyway. Is there any space, Will, and we'll, we'll end it here because I don't want to make this an IPL special all of a sudden, um, to not have, and this is, again, very Anglo-centric of me because I'm used to match weeks and games happening all at once. Is there any space to even do two games a day in the weekday as well can we just sort of could we just bring it in a little bit a couple of weeks and and have more than one game at a time perhaps is that something they think they might look at 
I'm really pushing for that. I think it would mm. really improve the experience. They, they already do some. They do the odd weekend that UK time is like 11 a.m. and then there's a 3 p.m. Yeah. Which are kind of more fun because at least then you, you, mean, you see half the teams in the league almost. You can kind of get a bit more into the narrative. But yeah, 100%. I, blast, this is true of the blast. We're about to talk about it. Have a Saturday where multiple games happen at the same time and then you can flick to the whichever one is actually good and you're yeah. paying attention to everything else. You get a real picture of the league. And I don't think anybody who's, you know, only the, the you know, when you're watching Look Now play Chennai for the second time this year and you're not a fan of either of those teams and that's the only game on that day, mm. you're kind of like, do I need to sit and watch this? Whereas if it's tucked behind an English comparison, the, the 3pm kickoff, you know, blackout, you don't have to watch it. You know it happens. You might catch the highlights. It's definitely, definitely something. Um, but yes, congratulations to Gujarat after all that. Yeah, I also kind of, this is total speculation. It, this might happen only on the basis that I think, I don't know when the next media rights are up. I think it's 2024, but I think they might do something strange with it next time. Interesting. And it might end up on streaming because um, in India, the biggest sports broadcaster is Star, which is now part of Disney Plus. If you're in India, they're packaged uh-huh. together. So I would I don't think it's impossible to imagine that kind of all the games get bought up. They're all on streaming. They're all therefore televised live. You could be at the same time and you just pick whichever one. Well, there you go. Watching. When whenever Prime have had the Premier League in the UK and they've had a match day, they'll put six games on. You choose the one you want to watch, or, and, and then you've got like your your soccer Saturday. Maybe you could have your, your IPL. Some guys in the studio, guys and girls in the studio, talk about that. Lots of fun options. That's probably a podcast for another day, which I look forward to. Um, just finishing off around the grounds, then we must look at the T Twenty Blast, which has started. Um, if you've not listened to it already. Uh, Glenn and Zach had a fantastic uh, preview podcast uh, with the founder of the Cricket Draft, um, sort of previewing the tournament and picking their players as well. Uh, Glenn, before we come to the T20 Blast, your team's not doing too well, pal. After all that, after all that preparation, you're you're rock bottom of the rain stop play league. <laughs> not only. <laughs> Not only that, Glenn didn't even put in his team the guy that he said was his top pick in the podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's been it's been miserable. I I pride myself on doing relatively all right with fantasy games because it's just it's just my uh, my kind of you know guilty hobby where I burn hours. It's what I do, and <laughs> this you can probably bring some of the structural stuff into it. I'm already struggling to keep up with what's going on, who's playing, when, but but that is absolutely absolutely no excuse for my position so for listeners who don't know the layout of our league we have 15 uh we have 15 people in our league i am propping up the table mm. i'm holding up 14 other players what's particularly pathetic um is rain stop play contingent apart from will who's doing really really well we're all, we're all just like right at the bottom i mean what i love i'm already minding the gap there's already like yeah. a 600 gap between me and 13th which i cannot <laughs> understand and i went back to my team and i realized i made the absolute Absolutely a fatal error of bringing in a load of leggies, uh, Shadab Khan, um, Quasimad, and uh, what? Yeah, yeah, a load of spinners, um, and Adil Rashid. For some reason, I thought they would get wickets with cold fingers on, uh, you know, just wet pitches in the in the mists of May. And how wrong was I? I think my bowlers in about three or four games got about three wickets between them. So my bowlers completely dropped the ball. And yeah, my differential of Joe Root was was a very foreseeable failure. <laughs> Joe Root, um, the and, differential, love it. Uh, and uh, Riley Rousseau, who was my pick, I gave you all some information about why I thought he would do really well after a strong PSL. I took him out 
out of my team because I was like, oh, maybe he won't get English conditions too well. He has been smashing the runs for Somerset. He must be up there with the highest run scorers right now. Long story short, I made some terrible errors and I am rightly at the bottom of the table. It's really depressing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can go listen to that preview with Glenn, but, you know, don't listen to any of his advice, obviously. Um, <laughs> Uh, but obviously some still very relevant content in there because the tournament is still in its very early days. Um, looking at the league tables, again, this is classic. And I, I know you boys spoke about this and there's probably more time to chat about this later in the year. But some teams have played three times, some teams once. Why? Nobody knows. Um, but top of the uh, Northern Division, Birmingham Bears have played uh, played three and won three. Uh, in the South, Middlesex done the same, played three and won three. Uh, where Worcestershire in the North have played three and lost three. Um, some 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 good games been knocking about though. We obviously had the Roses tie, uh, which ended in a tie, which no one <laughs> likes to see. Uh, Harry Brook was dismissed LBW with the final ball. Now there was no DRS shown, but that looked fairly plumb to me. For those who are watching, I think you'll agree. Sort of in swinging York and may have missed leg. Doubt it. Um, uh, Somerset and Kent played the first game. Somerset winning that one. Um, and Leicestershire bowled out for 89, looking pretty average again. Glenn, have you watched many of these games? That I've only watched the, I watched the two I just mentioned, the Roses tie and the first Somerset game. But, you know, some big names about, you know, Tim David's playing in there. You've got Josh Philippi and Rizwan at Sussex. Paul Sterling got a turn playing for Birmingham for the first time. It's, it's exciting. It's just weird how early this is in the year, isn't it? Yeah, you've done a really, really nice job uh, encapsulating my thoughts there, Dan. Yeah, there are some great players. I think we will get onto this in part three with our with our pitch inspection. But yeah, a lot of people are already saying, well, you know, there's there's more, you know, there's not maybe enough of, of the best players in the world. I mean, in this in this derby, right, in this Lancashire Lightning versus Yorkshire Vikings game, which was thrilling, the cricket was unbelievably high quality, and the ending was as tense and as wonderful entertainment as you can get. You know, you've got Salt, Livingston, David, um, and then you've got Harris Ralph, you've got Rashid, you've got Joe Root, you've got Milan, you've got Shadab Khan. I mean, these are players that would get into Parkinson. These are players that would get into most, maybe not Joe Root or all of them, but into most competitive T20 franchises in whatever league, most of those players will do it. And we've got some of the contingent coming back from the IPL who have been playing there, who are going to come in like Tim David and co Livingston, who are going to pick up their teams now. So I think the quality has been pretty good so far. I think the, the, the caliber of player is very solid. What what is very unfortunate is that we've got this influx of good players who can kind of only play. And this speaks to Will's point about getting stuck in at the start and the end, but losing the thread in the middle of these tournaments. A lot of these players, Pakistan have got a series. England have got two series across different formats. A load of international teams are playing in the coming weeks. And unfortunately, that's going to dilute the quality of international signings and especially Pakistan players who've made a real impact so far. And sadly, most of them are going to go. So it's very uneven. And what I found was hilarious, Dan, uh, Sussex to try and navigate this have signed about four different, maybe even more, four plus international players. And they actually will. I don't know if you saw this as well. They had to have a little kind of graph on their on their website to show which, which one's playing when. I think they have three international wikis, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and correct. they had to, they had like the fixtures with little blocks of who's playing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I saw uh, some guy on Twitter direct not uh, like at them and say is Philippi available for selection because like my lad's a big fan or something and they're like yeah he's, he's in selection for this one but then not later on yeah it's a cluster over there they've just signed Obed McCoy actually from Raj not from Rajasthan but fresh from Rajasthan duty um, but you're right bit of a mishmash but lots of good players I'm going to end part two there because we're going to come back in part three for our pitch inspection which focuses uh, on the blast on the price of the blast 
and where it sits in the English summer. Uh, we're back in a second. Hello, welcome back to the third and final part of this week's episode. Uh, a pitch inspection for you for the next 10 minutes or so. For those who haven't seen or heard of a pitch inspection before, we'll take a, a piece that one of us found really interesting this week and sort of have a little deep dive into it and, and chat wider about it. Uh, this week, it's uh, from Tim Wigmore in the Telegraph uh, called How to Save the Vitality Blast Without Ending the 100. Of course, this is behind the paywall, annoyingly. So, you know, we'll link it. But if you don't subscribe to the Telegraph, hopefully our chat enlightens you enough about it um there's been a lot of chat on twitter boys about this uh, at the price difference between these two events um and the sort of lack of crowds i I know they've not sold out lords for the test match as well which is perhaps a slightly wider issue um but looking at sort of between 25 and 30 pound to go and watch the blast on a cold-ish night in may versus your 10 12 pound tickets to go and watch the 100 at the height of summer uh arguably a stronger set of players you've got the you get two matches for your money as well because you've got the women's and the men's game it's kind of hard to warrant this and uh tim wigmore here in this piece is trying to talk about saving the blast um this despite the hundred uh, despite the hundred and, and trying to fit it in the calendar and make it a better sort of match for everybody uh we'll come on to his sort of solutions in a minute whether you like that or not but generally on the price of cricket well i mean i went to the 100 last year at edgebaster and it cost me 12 quid for two games i've never seen anything like it and i would not go and watch i would not go and watch the bears who are my local team at the minute for 30 quid and i would certainly not go i would love to go to hove but 30 pounds go and watch play glamorgan on a tuesday is not something i like to spend either 12 pound for saturday absolutely it doesn't make any sense does it so how are they going to sort this it's a really good question and it is really jarring i mean i tried to um i i had a friday off work a couple of weeks ago so i I thought i'd waddle down to beckenham to see kent because that's not that far from me now um and it was it was like it was like a day four afternoon and it was still 25 pounds a ticket and i was like can't you can't you just let me in for free this is reminiscent of a of a of a famous incident in race play (laughs) annals last summer where glenn marched at the front gates of the oval demanding (laughs) to be let in because it was after tea and the security guy just stared at him like this is the oval (laughs) It's not taunted. You can't just walk in. But there is a point there. It's like, yeah, generally speaking, this stuff is too expensive. The guys who are pointing out the ridiculous, like, mortgage-inducing payments for the test match at Lords are absolutely right to do so. Which does make me kind of slightly get my tiny violin out for <laughs> people complaining that 100 prices have undercut the blast and this, how terrible is this for the counties at the blast. It's like, yeah, but if you were charging £25 for a ticket two years ago and now you're charging £25 for a ticket, but you're getting fewer people because the 100 is affordable. Mm. Kind of not our problem. Exactly. And coming on to this piece and sort of, you know, then you can chat about this sort of... So let me talk about what, what, what uh, Tim Wigman wants to do, really, to just freshen up the blast. Obviously, bring prices down a little bit. But if you reduce the amount of games from 14 to 10, get rid of the regional system, but also maintain those key rivalries to make sure they happen every year, you know, Birmingham, Worcestershire... Sussex, Hampshire, uh, Middlesex, Surrey, you know, all those derbies, the Roses derby, for example, make sure they all happen, freshen up those league stages um, and just make it work and just tie slightly closer to the 100 to make a little bit more sense. We have to have the blast to keep all of the counties afloat 
Um, but we can't price people out of it. Otherwise, it becomes just sort of a, a, a moot tournament. So, Glenn, your thoughts on, on what Tim Wigmore said there? I know you're perhaps not a fan of it and, and more on this sort of price crisis we're in at the minute. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, it, yeah, I have very mixed feelings about this piece. Some of what uh, Tim Wigmore said, I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. You know, maybe, as you said, playing up these derbies, making Somerset Gloucestershire more of a thing, uh, uh, you know, Middlesex, sorry, mixing up some of the games. I think he points out how Yorkshire and Surrey have ne- never really met uh, much in the blast at all, which is quite funny. But yeah, generally speaking, I just, I, I'm very sceptical of this, of this kind of rhetoric in these pieces because they're like, because they just seem to be like, oh my goodness, why is the blast not doing well? Why is the hundreds succeeding? The the hundred, as we know, right? The prices, the the point of access price points are, are, are super low, and I agree with Will. Don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to say that you know the, the blast has been unaffordable for many years that predate the 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 hundred. I completely agree with you. I was going to raise that, so thank you for saying that. But simultaneously, right? So yeah, sure, it's cheaper. There's an access point. That's not a bad thing. I want cheap cricket, whatever format it is. But you look at the you look at you know the luxuries that the hundred has it now in terms of the time the time it's on the the placement in the calendar you get the best weather you know it looked miserable talking about playing 25 pounds or 30 pounds or whatever it is for you know a cold a cold t20 like people look especially when your home team's losing because i've seen about three or four of these blast games some people in the crowd genuinely just looked a bit sad i mean that is not the atmosphere or visuals or aesthetic you want for a tournament that you want to be you know up there and competing with the psl ipl whatever else right this should be in the same at least the same Ram as the Big Bash, and I think it is. I think the quality of the cricket's about the same as the Big Bash, to be honest. We could talk about that maybe in a later pod. But and then you look at TV coverage, right? It's it's just it's just ridiculous. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, when the you know when the um hundred obviously started, you know, a some of it's on terrestrial, massive game changer, massive game changer. We talked about that before. But B, there was blanket coverage of it on BBC to an extent, ESPN, whatever else. There were highlight clips because they had this broadcasting deal. It didn't just mean they could do little reports all the time they had visuals they could mess and yeah they were cheap and i didn't particularly like them but the fact you could see the equivalent of five plays of the day across the men's and women's team like it's great that they linked the men's and women's league so well that's something that i think the blast really should be doing with the kia super league that's fallen away that's a mistake but i think my problem with this piece is mainly it's just like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that the hundred in these conditions will do better than the blast and then people are like putting their hands up why is it succeeding because it has these favorable conditions and not only that wigmore makes a really like, pathetic comparison between the premier league and the national league which i thought was ludicrous which i thought was absolutely ridiculous you want to tell me that the equivalent of Root, Shadab Khan, Parkinson, the, the Livingstone, they'd be playing in the National League. It's If they're playing football, maybe, not playing cricket. <laughs> I mean, it is... These farcical, farcical, disrespectful comparisons like this that inherently cheapen the blast within this lexicon of, oh, let's improve it. So while I didn't disagree with some of his ideas for kind of small reforms in the blast, yeah, they, some of them made a lot of sense. The way he framed the article, I think, was was pretty misleading to an extent and really cheapened the, bar, the blast as a product, which could and should be doing so much better. Glenn off the long run up, love that. I think it's, <laughs> it, but they're all absolutely fair points because, yeah, him framing like this isn't going to help the tournament at all really is it um will part me thinks ecb want this to happen anyway um is that too cynical because they could this this tournament has to still exist we all agree on that because gloucestershire will die or you know any team that isn't one of these big stadiums will die but you know can the ecb step in and, and start judging up their own tournament a little bit more 
Well, and I know that you don't like, you know, the the you've talked at length about how much you don't like the fifty over. I forgot um, that's even happening. Yeah, precisely. Right. How many? How many really good competitive leagues and tournaments you're going to sacrifice on the altar of of the hundred? Right. You've already done it. You've already disrespected and, um, you know, basically said that the that the fifty over game is is a warm up for some children. You've already said that, and that's effectively what it was. As much as some county fans really enjoyed it, I had a great day at Somerset. It's brilliant quality cricket. But you've already done that, so now you're focusing on the blast. It's basically going to be the county championship with still nobody watching it. A price point reasons. B played at terrible times of the week. You, effectively, you're going you're going head on head on towards a, a sporting landscape for cricket in which you have the hundred or county championship. I mean, how on earth is that going to help A really grow the game sustainably and B create strong English teams for men and women across all three formats? It won't. You're just you. They have put all of their eggs, as we know, in this hundred basket. And and they're just pushing it forward as much as they can. And I mean, you're not gonna win over some of the purists. And that yeah, that's okay. I'm not saying you have to appease every single person, but you're not helping other products that are good, like the blast. You're just weakening them and you're making them worse. I think that's ridiculous. And the blast is a good product. And part of me thinks, and I did see someone tweet this this week, is that they should have just put all this money into the blast, still do your double headers, still rebrand it a little bit. They could have done all the same with all of the teams i don't know but it's just a bit of a mess isn't it and this it's interesting how this this price issue and, and lack of attendance has sort of brought this conversation back up uh, again and i'm sure we'll be having it when the 100 uh, uh, is going to kick off in august or july i can't remember whenever it's got that month booking basically to dominate our lives it is worth noting actually that a couple of the counties do have season tickets for about 80 quid i think it was leicestershire and yorkshire so you know there is some affordability there but <laughs> Those one-off tickets on a Monday night for Sussex Glamorgan at 30 quid is just not on. It's not going to help. A couple of quick things. One, just from a financial perspective, obviously as a fan, I think downward pressure on ticket prices is nothing but a good thing. The exception to that would be there does probably need to be a conversation around financial stability and sustainability around are the 100 tickets so cheap because actually it's just getting subsidised by the ECB and if those if those teams were independent entities, they would not be able to afford to exist at that price point. If that's the case, then, yeah, that is direct, like, state-led, for want of a better word, from the ECB undercutting of the 100 as a competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know that because I'm not the accountant for a Blast team. But I do think downward pressure on ticket prices is a good thing. It's just that kind of exception needs to be... It's a great point because it feels like that. Like, 12 quid for two games of cricket at an international stadium just it's does not... That doesn't... I'm happy to pay it, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> it almost, yeah, like you said, is that... Is there some undercutting going on there deliberately? Is that actually sustainable? I also think the the other thing that's worth saying is just I think this like the the narrative now that the hundred is the favoured child is the case because it's coming off its first season, the ECB clearly has a particular preference. By the way, it would be remiss of me not to remind listeners of of our friend Duncan Stone's quote where he said uh, the ECB came up with the hundred because they forgot to trademark T twenty. Uh, so maybe there is a bias there. But that aside, I just I think it's important to remind us everybody that the hundred hasn't had its second season yet. It could be it could fall apart really quickly, as we've all pointed out in the past. This thing does this thing, this thing is not a real format, it doesn't exist internationally. Fast forward five years, the hundred might be on its death legs. Meanwhile, the blast is still a very functional competition. Um, so I think you need just some perspective. Um I also just think there's a fundamental structural problem that like this is yeah, this is not the ideal time to play cricket. On the other hand, it's the only time that you're gonna get Joe Root and Ben Stokes for any period of the summer. So do you want to be an IPL equivalent and get top level international players or do you want to be a great domestic T20 franchise tournament that occasionally has internationals if they happen to be available and I think that's the key question for the blast really 
the other thing, really, really last point, a lot of the things that we're talking about, not to be too inside baseball, but they're media problems just as much as they're cricket problems. Like, yes, you, the ECB could pick the time of year it happens, but the ECB aren't the reason that we, you know, we have we we fail to have a weekly highlights program properly. The ECB are not the reason why necessarily all of these things happen one a day at ridiculous times, rather than having a bit more, as we were saying with the IPL, have it a bit more, make it easier to stream, get a choice of matches, have a kind of soccer Sunday style of edge, make it easier to consume, and that feeling that all of us have of, I don't really know what's going on. It's really hard to follow. I lose track of it week to week. Games blend into one. Like none of these are ECB problems. These are all like, can cricket media please do a better job? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Some perspective there as well, and um, two good sides of the argument there. And the piece is fantastic, and it's great, sort of uh, jumping off this and having that kind of chat with you guys. Uh, but that will wrap up this week's episode. A busy one for our after our quote unquote hiatus that we've not actually been away for. Uh, we'll be back uh, this time next week to review the first test match and talk about everything else that may or may not have been going on. Uh, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. See you next week. Thank you. I'm out of steam after my rant. I need to go <laughs> sit in a dark room for a while. <laughs> that was uh, on on what would have been Bob Willis's 73rd birthday as well. That was that was very appropriate, Glenn, uh, off the long <laughs> run up. So uh, very good indeed. Uh, Will, thank you for hopping on. Again, commiserations to Rajasthan, but uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for joining us. As I said, uh, do follow us on Twitter at RainStopPod. We'd love to hear from you uh, and we'll see you this time next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.